Hi, I'm Joseph Hamer, and welcome to the Family of Virtues podcast. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on the Family of Virtues podcast. I honor all of us for our commitment to learn more about ourselves and how we can create positive and loving environments for our children. Before I go further, I'd like to remind everybody to subscribe to us on all your favorite podcast apps and also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Family of Virtues. Determination skills are important for everyone. We know that children who are self-determined are able to appreciate their strengths and acknowledge their limitations. They can set demanding yet realistic goals for themselves. They create plans to achieve their goals. They make appropriate choices and decisions. Accept responsibility for their choices and decisions when things don't go well. And then develop problem-solving skills and assert themselves when necessary. They advocate for themselves and they achieve their goals. Determined children make positive things happen at school, with friends, with their community, and in their families. As they enter adolescence, these young people are better able to cope with the academic and social demands of life in school. And after high school, they're more likely to transition successfully into adult life. It is no wonder why it is important and why parents think about raising determined and resilient children. I'm honored today to welcome our guest, Joseph Hamer. Joseph is an influential elementary teacher in Wichita, Kansas. Mr. Hamer is known by his colleagues for creating a safe and uplifting environment for his students to continuously learn and grow. After beginning his own journey of awareness in 2017, Joseph started teaching his students how to monitor and manage their emotions using mindfulness. The activities made such an incredible impact on his classroom community each year that he knew he needed to develop the resources for teachers and parents to replicate these results. Joseph began writing his writing career to empower parents and teachers to strengthen their children's social and emotional understanding, something that I'm an advocate for myself, and I'm so happy and so thrilled to have you here on board. Joseph, welcome to the Family of Virtues podcast. Hello, Richard. I'm, I'm so grateful to be here with you today. Like you said, I'm really passionate about guiding my children to reach their greatest potential through that intentional focus in social-emotional learning. And mm. determination plays a huge role in that because determination requires focus and perseverance and even optimism. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm grateful to be here with you today. Excellent, Joseph. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I grew up here in Wichita, Kansas, and I started my teaching career in 2017. And uh, since then, I've, I've been teaching elementary education. So I've taught first grade, second grade, and third grade. And I do a lot in my district for math and in reading and within my building's leadership. But my biggest passion lies with social-emotional awareness and getting kids to find healthy ways to move through all of the challenges in life and, and do it in a way that supports them. So for me, my, my biggest passion is just getting kids to have that understanding of themselves and understanding of others, which I see time and time again creates this compassionate and connected community. Absolutely, Joseph. I couldn't agree with you more. Working with children myself and looking at 
the way the world is changing at such a crazy pace at the moment, um, what whatever we were empowered with when we were growing up, um, the skills that these kids need, the challenges that they're going to be facing are far different from what we faced when we were in school and, and beyond. Yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting. I was just thinking of this the other day. You know, all of us uh, as adults are saying to ourselves, well, you know, my parents didn't go through a pandemic. But w- we also have to remember uh, no children right now have ever gone through a pandemic. And That's so right. it's, it's important for us to th- not assume that we know how our children are feeling. We can't assume that we know how they're coping with things because we haven't even ever gone through this. And, it, and it's such an intense time in our world and so many capabilities for for trauma and these intense emotions that uh, it, it is more important than ever that we take the time to sit with our children and be intentional about asking them um, how they're feeling or or what they're thinking or what they, they notice today. Even prior to the pandemic, Joseph, do you think that the world uh, that we're living in right now, the kids that are in school right now compared to when we were, you know, perhaps in school, um, do you think that the challenges that they're facing are comparable to us? Or do you think that it's more challenging for them in this day and age? It's interesting because I feel that the challenges have adapted a little bit. And especially mm. with with a new, a brand new challenge, one of just having a, a different social engagement and, and this uh, fascination with technology and spending too much time on the screen and balancing personal connections and, and going outdoors. But I also think just having a, a, a new emphasis on this need for perfection and and to achieve just gr- the greatness. And I think that's always been around, but with our, our environment, the way it's developed lately, I believe kids are fearful that they won't be perfect. Yeah, definitely. Because everything is so much uh, on the forefront, isn't it? Everything that their friends are doing, the achievements of people with social media and things like that, the way it is. So I can understand that we all as human beings probably wanted the same things, but it's just so much more apparent now and in your face now. Yeah, I think you can get on and most people don't post a lot about the things going wrong in their life. You know, you spend a little bit of time uh, even looking at a magazine, getting on Facebook, whatever it is, and you see all of these great things happening in people's lives, and suddenly you begin to reflect on your own life and and begin to wonder if what you're doing is uh, enough. And, and that's not something that uh, our children sh- should be wondering all of the time. You know, I think that that's a healthy thought if yeah. it's in moderation. Yeah. Absolutely. I read something yesterday um, that everyone's highlight reel is not the same as what's going on backstage. It, it, it was obviously phrased uh, much uh, more eloquently than that. I can't remember it verbatim, but, um, but that's what it was. And that's so true. I, I want to go back to uh, determination and I want to read this Virtues card just to remind our listeners as well that these cards are available on virtuesproject.com or through an app called Virtues Cards from Virtues Matter, available on um, iOS and Google Play. Determination. Determination is the power of intent that drives our dreams. It is the strength of will to act with resolve. 
We focus our energy on a purpose and persevere until we meet our goal. Determination is the commitment to follow through until we accomplish our purpose. We care about something so much that even when difficulties arise and things don't come easy, we keep on keeping on. If one path doesn't work, we try another way. We don't allow ourselves to get distracted or to go off track. We complete the tasks we choose to do. With determination, we will succeed. Very powerful uh, statements indeed. Uh, Joseph, I'd like to invite you to reflect on that, please. Yeah, I think my mind is just pulled to that last statement. With de- determination, we will succeed. I think mm-hmm. that sentence in itself embodies determination as a whole. It, it implies through the difficulties. It implies uh, with challenges and creativity but with determination, we will succeed. And, and that's really what we all want for our children, isn't it? Success. No matter what that success looks like, we long for our children to have success. And so my, my mind is just on that last sentence. With determination, we will succeed. That's right. And I think, I think it's really important what you mentioned about success and how relative that is to different people. So all parents, obviously, when they look at the challenges that they have today, what children have to go through, they all want to raise children who are determined, who are resilient. And parents, a lot of the time as adults, you know, they reflect on their time or their childhood and missed opportunities. And they always want to try and give their children the best. So we hear of parents wanting children to be independent, you know, to learn to fight their own battles. However, there is a very particular type of parenting that is required here. We can't be too authoritative because especially right now, if we are controlling every situation, uh, children may be resenting that kind of style, if you like. And neither can we be too relaxed also by allowing them to fight their own battles. When children aren't given boundaries, they do not feel safe in order to explore and to experiment, you know, new ideas. And, and neither can we keep sliding between the two. You know, that would be very inconsistent. We can't be authoritative on one hand and the very next day we are unpredictable and we say that anything goes. So the role of the parent is, of course, really important. So how can we look at that role and how can the parent really ensure that children have these desired skills? Wow, I love I love your touch on consistency there first. I think that plays a huge role in this in, in the child's ability to trust the parent and have that predictability, the consistency and, and knowing what that structure is like when they go home. But I, I love that you're asking what what's the parent's role because so many people really impact the lives of our children, the grandparents, Mm. other extended family, the teachers, the babysitters, just those in the neighborhood. I often say it takes a village to empower our children and I'm happy to be a part of yours. But I guess to answer your question more specifically, I, I believe the parent plays three key roles, the model, the Mm -hmm. coach and the comforter. As the model, parents have to display that healthy determination. It's something that they must practice themselves. However, as the coach, we have to really intentionally teach the needed skills for that success. We, 
oftentimes get frustrated with our children when they're not determined, but when we reflect back, maybe we haven't really taught them how to embody that determination. Mm. If we've never sat down and reflected with them after a time that they failed, or maybe even reflected with them after a time that they had successful determination, we can't expect our kids to embody something that we haven't really talked and taught them. Mm. As the coach, also, we do have this accountability piece. You know, the coach makes the kids run sprints sometimes. And I think there's certainly healthy ways that we can uplift and encourage our children to do better when they are failing to uphold a communicated expectation. Mm. But for me, the most critical job that parents have is the comforter. Every child needs to know that they're safe and loved, that they're not going to be alone no matter what. Mm. Through comfort, we can develop this mindset in our children that it's okay to take risks and it's okay to take mistakes because those two things are needed through determination. Yeah, Joseph, I I, I completely agree with that. And I think um, taking parents through the varying layers here by being the model, the coach, and the comforter. It gives parents that idea that I need to be all three things for my child to be able to develop these skills. Now, the only issue that I see with that sometimes is, let's look at something really simple, like, um, you know, insects and nature and, you know, animals. Now, a lot of us may have grown up not being very familiar with these environments, especially people in the city. And you might have a child that's growing that is naturally very inclined towards nature. A child wants to catch bugs. The child is not afraid of spiders. Child is not afraid of geckos. This side of the world, you've got lizards and everything like that, just in our homes even. Um, Now, in this very simple example, it is very difficult for a parent to model uh, that confidence <laughs> or, or or that determination. So uh, what what I guess what I'm getting at is I know that parents can coach, but they may not necessarily be able to model because of their own upbringing or their own insecurity. So how do we handle that? Yeah, I think I think that's a, a good question and definitely a good example. I'm sure there's some parents out there right now shaking their heads saying, no, I'm not going to go pick up that lizard with them. Um, mm. But I think it's important that we do remember that with those three roles, you're going to have strengths and you're going to have weaknesses. And we have to work on our strengths and our weaknesses just like we expect our children to. So if we're struggling to model for our children this love that they have, that, that we want them to find a healthy way to do it, Maybe mm-hmm. we can maybe we can do better as the coach or maybe we can do better as the comforter and know that we need to spend some extra time figuring out in a creative way how we can help them. So maybe you're not comfortable going to pick up the lizard, but maybe you could go and find a book that you could read with them to learn more. And so I think that uh, really it comes to knowing that it's okay not to be perfect in all three of those. Nobody's expecting our parents to be a perfect model, a perfect coach, and a perfect comforter. But I Mm. do think that we have to recognize where are we strong at and where do we need to improve. And I think that's the first step is noticing in ourselves. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. There, there are several examples in 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 football uh, slash soccer. I guess this side of the world <laughs> is, you know, there, there there are many coaches that are very successful and have won titles, but they actually have never ever played professionally. Right. So I can I can get that that you aren't able to model, you aren't able to actually show that you've actually done it, but you actually have a strength as a coach and to be able to comfort and to be able to guide you know, I guess, players to be able to motivate them. And in order to do that, you just have to have, you know, their their best interest at heart. And, and you have to be able to encourage them to be the best version of themselves. So uh, language plays a very big part in that as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think language and keeping a, a culture where So I'm envisioning the coach, you know, the coach isn't running sprints with them. The coach Mm. is standing on the side, but the players trust that the coach is doing this for them. They know Mm -hmm. that the coach has their best interest in mind. They, They know that you're both on the same team, that you have the same mission. And so I think it's important that uh, when we're talking with our children, we do consistently show them that you know, even even when you have to come in the discipline that you show that you're on the same team, that you're doing this with them and for them. And mm. that that sort of positive relationship can really transform something that may normally be negative into uh, what could be a learnable moment. And and children can sense when parents are, are, are being genuine or any adult, you know, uh, are we being genuine or disingenuous? Right. And I think if we really, like you said, have, have their best interests at heart, I think children appreciate honesty as well. Like from a parent's point of view, if we are not confident about something, um, you know, they, they, we want to make sure that they're determined to be able to achieve their goals, but we aren't able to model that. I think it's okay to be honest and said, you know, it's, it's very difficult for me to show you how, simply because I don't have the necessary skills, but I agree with you. You know, it is really, really important. And as you said, let's research on it together. Let's, you know, buy these resources. So let's try and find out whether there are some tools that we can purchase to be able to help you, um, you know, achieve these goals. And you tell me, how can I be of service to you, you know, in order for you to achieve those goals? I think that's the part that sometimes, um, you know, parents can't forget. Just because you can't do it, it doesn't mean that you can't help them do it. And that question that you just said is one of my favorites, and it always almost confuses children in my classroom when I say, mm. what can I do to help you in, in mm. a moment that they're upset or that they're, you know, something that, that's got them frustrated? And they almost take a step back like, oh, yeah, uh, okay, let me think about it. And, you know, it, it almost <laughs> shocks them like, oh, yeah, I forget that we could be on the same team here. And uh I, that that question's very powerful. Just yeah, what can it just I makes do you for you? Think, it just makes you think sometimes, Joseph, that the, the fact that so many children in classrooms are taken aback when a teacher is trying to be of service to them, it just goes to show how rare that question is, you know? And this is probably an opportunity for me, you know, to speak to parents and to let them know that this is a very, very powerful question as as, as Joseph just identified. That if your child is going through distress and anxiety, 
you know, because, you know, children have big goals. They have big dreams. The greatest gift that a child has is the gift of imagination. My six-year-old right now, every night before he sleeps, is thinking about rockets launching to Mars. Now, I know that, you know, the, the likelihood of that happening is probably very minute, but we need to encourage, you know, whatever that is that's, that's in their mind so that their imagination keeps going through. And when they don't hit some of those targets, they get distressed. And I guess the comforting part of what you spoke about earlier, Joseph, is not us solving the problem for them, but allowing them to know that we are here for you. And what can we do to be able to make you feel better? Yeah, and I think for me too, right now I'm thinking we we can expect also to say, what can I do for you? And they say, well, I don't know. And you say, well, then I can't help you then. You know, that's not, <laughs> yeah. that's not the way we could go about it. But, but rather explain what we mean, especially if a child's taken back, you know, they're thinking, oh, oh, well, what can you do? That's what they're thinking in their head. So maybe give some ideas. Well, you know, we could go to the library and get some books for you or we could get on and, and look for a documentary or a TV show on this and give them some options or, and then let them choose how can I best help you. So I do think it's important too that we teach our kids how to ask for that help. Yeah, it, I, I've, I've read also children ask for love in the most unloving ways. So, mm-hmm. you know, parents, please be patient. You know, when things like this happen, they, they are basically wanting you to be there but they may not say it with their body language or in, in, in words. So once <laughs> once we sort of go through that time limit of patience, I'm sure they'll open up and, and they'll let you know how, how they need help. Um, moving on, I mean, we, we speak about messages of positivity and we've touched on that a little bit as well. So how him, how important is it that children learn from our experiences? Now, we've gone through challenges ourselves growing up, you know, albeit in a very different world. And I know how young children love to listen to stories of yesteryears um, and how we responded to those kind of situations. What are they exactly learning from us? So when they see us every day, what do children learn from us? What are they seeing? What are they observing? What are they listening to? And mind you, during this pandemic, with everybody being at home, they're listening to a lot more than they otherwise would have. Um, What are they noticing that creates such an impression in their impressionable minds, even if we don't notice? I think oftentimes we we really don't notice. That's not what our mind thinks about unless it's something bad and we think, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. But it really is oftentimes comical for parents when you hear your children repeat something that you said a minute or an hour or a day later, um, mm. whether it's a good or something that slipped out of your mouth that you wish it didn't. But it's, it's also times when they reenact the way that we act, um, especially with young children. Their mannerisms really copy what we do as they grow older. Mm. But like you said, our children are, are really a sponge to their environment. Mm. They absorb what we do and they absorb how we do it. And especially right now, being at home so much with our children, I mean, it's just a constant absorption and it's a little bit harder to have that energy that's positive because you are constantly with them you're you're lacking that time where maybe you had a moment to rejuvenate or to reflect or for that self-care for yourself but i think Mm. it's important that we still demonstrate the healthy and respectful 
the mind, body, and communication habits so that our children mimic the healthy behaviors. But unfortunately, they do copy our less desirable moments. I, and I always think of the child saying, well, mommy or daddy did this or said that. And we have to explain that just because, you know, I think it's just important that we take the time to sit and to reflect with our children about their experiences in the life and mm. about ours. We can, we can be vulnerable in sharing our mistakes and what we've learned, but just by discussing the events that they have experienced and what they have observed can often avoid those misunderstandings where children mm. believe something is okay when it really shouldn't be. And we have to allow our kids to express those thoughts and about what they've learned because that right there has the power to make any moment of the day a learning opportunity. Joseph, uh, I, I, I definitely sense your perceptiveness as you've sort of unlayered all the different levels of, of, of emotions here, everything from, from the par parental point of view you know, to the child as well. I was recently given a book my son started year one uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I've got two wonderful students who graduated from year 12, and they were aware that, you know, my son was coming into year one, and they were given this book by their family, Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You Will Go, and um, they said that they had kept that book for, for 12 years, and, you know, all the teachers that, that have come and gone, and all their well-wishers had written something on it, and they wanted to you know, s sort of give that legacy over or pass that legacy over to my son, which was a very, very thoughtful, uh, thoughtful act on their part. So I just read that book to him a couple of days ago, and I just, I, I was just completely blown away as to how powerful his words were, even to an adult. And one of, one of my favorite quotes in there was, I'm, I'm sorry to say so, but sadly, it's true that bang ups and hang ups can happen to you. And, you know, there are instances in your life that will always happen, even though you feel you're on a high, that the bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. However, later in the book, it speaks about confusion. And it says you can get so confused that you'll start into race down long wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space headed, I fear, towards a most useless place, the waiting place. Now, this is where I got, I guess, a little confused because with social and emotional learning as well, we speak about responding rather than reacting. And, and I can understand that in the book, the waiting place is for people who sit there and sort of wallow in misery and wait for their time to come rather than being determined. But if we sort of take a step further and be perceptive of, about this, how... How much do you feel when, when, when we're down in that slump? How long do you feel we should wait and reflect before we sort of, you know, take action again? Wow, what a good question. And I think mm. it's relevant right now because so many of us have felt that slump lately. Mm. You know, at some point during the past few months when you've been stuck at home, everybody has felt that they have been here. Mm -hmm. And all of us know that this is not a place that we want to stay, that we don't mm. want to be stuck in the slump. But for as long as you don't 
acknowledge that you are there, you'll be stuck there. You know, you cannot right. climb your way out of a place that your eyes are closed to. And I think it really starts with that. In, in teaching children how to see that, you know, when things go wrong, children can be so upset and so down. And I think mm. it's just important that we show them that right now you do feel upset. Right now you are feeling down. Right now mm. things have been going wrong and life doesn't make sense and we haven't got what we wanted and then things are, we don't feel okay. Mm. And then it's also important as we start to make gains and we progress out of that, we point out, and this is the part that oftentimes we forget, we have to point out when life is going right when we feel yeah. okay, when we're feeling happy, and how we notice that. That way, children have a moment to hold on to. They can remember that, you know, once upon a time, I was stuck at home for months, and this happened, or so, you know, my grandfather passed away, whatever it is, but I remember a good time also, and I know I came out of that. And I think that's the important piece, is that we have to know where we are and that it's possible to move out of that. Because sometimes we get that. so yeah. stuck in that dark hole that we forget that there is light shining somewhere else. Yeah, look, oh, Joseph, so powerful. I, I, I love everything that you said about it. It definitely puts it into perspective. That, that waiting place, we, we have to enter it. There's no escaping it. But acknowledging that we are there is the only way we will be able to get that hope or that determination to get out of it. We need to acknowledge that we're there and acknowledge that we can be somewhere else. And, and the appreciation, the acknowledgement that when things are going okay, I feel, you know, there are a lot of cultures that have uh, this kind of superstition, you know, uh, touching wood or touching your head or whatever it may be when things are going well, just don't jinx it. And I feel like as if every time we adopt that kind of behavior, we aren't giving the opportunity to really celebrate when things are going well in our lives. And we need to. We can't spend hours and hours talking about when we are in waiting places, but when things are actually going well, we don't say it because we don't want to jinx it. So I think that acknowledging and that appreciation, that beauty, that kindness you know that's been awarded to us or the generosity from people around us or from the creator or whatever you believe in if that's given to us or presented to us at that time i think that appreciation is of paramount importance thank you for bringing that to light i also want to say that while we're rejoicing in it we can't be scared looking forward to the next time we're back in that waiting place we need mm. we can't have the fear and the anxiety of the future and the unknown to hold us back from that true joy that we we can experience in our life. That's what determination is, isn't it? Determination is is being able to do something, you know, without giving up. And and I think that there are so many opportunities, so many new ideas for them to explore. And I feel like as if, you know, the moment they stumble and they are probably more aware of the impressions that are being formed about them because everyone's stumbling more publicly nowadays than they were when we were growing up. Um, 
that that I feel like as if it's very difficult for them to sort of get out of that slump. So that celebrating when things are going well gives them that hope that I can be there again where things are going well. How much is anxiety and depression attributed to the first eight to 10 years of parenting? Now, I know that there was a survey recently that since 2012, there, was an, there has been an exponential increase of social media use amongst teenagers. And since 2012 as well, there has been an exponential rise in the cases of anxiety and depression amongst teenagers. Now, I don't think they have successfully correlated the data, but the data speaks something there. How much is it to do with the experiences that we're facing at school or social media or what have you? And more importantly, what is the role of the parent in these formative years? You know, preschool, you're an elementary teacher yourself. We always say that the first 10 years of a child's life is when they're your best friend. And after that, they're, they're experimenting and they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're going and pushing the envelope. So whatever right. you've taught them, you've planted the seed, basically. Mm-hmm. So how important is the role of the parent in these formative years? Yeah, so I'll, I'll speak first, I guess, to those first Uh, like you said, eight to 10 years. And I think Mm. there are a lot of factors that play into childhood anxiety and depression. You know, we have to also remember that specifically anxiety, it has the ability to rush adrenaline to save our lives. It's not something that we should never experience. However, Mm. we do have this tendency to let it take over our minds. As Mm. we try to escape or we try to control the unknown, the scary or the uncomfortable. In in 2016, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America stated that one in eight children suffered from significant anxiety disorder. And Mm. that wasn't during a pandemic. I can only imagine that that number is rising. Parenting is certainly a major factor as we have the greatest impact on our children. Mm. Like we said earlier, our children are soaking up their environments and everything in it. If we as parents tend to worry or we see the the glass half empty or we're watching the news constantly and getting uh, nervous from all of the the media and, and, and things that we're picking up from that, our children pick up those mindsets. Mm. Those negative views predispose our children to anxiety. But the, the hard thing is, is that us as parents and teachers, we usually don't know the child is experiencing anxiety. We just mm. notice that something isn't quite right. Right. Especially, like you said, as teenagers now, you know, there mm. are no fools. They don't want to feel that way. And so they, they're creative in their ways of hiding it. But as much as we would love to, we know that we cannot protect our children from this unpredictable world. But we can teach them how to recognize their anxiety and and how to find peace going through that. We can show our children how to face the difficult situations. We can teach our children how to regulate their emotions. We can give our Mm. children compassion and grace when they do fail. Mm. We We can teach them to learn from their mistakes. And we have the capability to raise our children with a calm and a confident mindset. 
to mm. find the positive and to run with it. But that really starts in the foundation. Like you said, planting the seeds. We have to show them how to recognize their emotions, how to recognize their anxiety, and learn how they can control it early on. Early yeah. on. Yeah, I like I like I like your second point there as well that you know we aren't we aren't miracle workers. At the end of the day, the world is an unpredictable world. It is a challenging world, and despite our best efforts and atten- intentions, our children will be experiencing things externally that we have no control over. And once they actually come back and once we see or identify that change in behavior as you said when something just isn't right, then that role of the of the comforter that role of the guide about teaching our children how to regulate their emotions i think that's really important because you know that's that's going to um speak volumes about how stable they can handle relationships you know when they move into adulthood as well isn't it joseph yeah i think it's important right now i've i've just been thinking you know we know that we can't protect them and mm. so if if we try to over control and save them from all of this hardship well mm. i you know we we can promise that there will be hardship as an adult and so right now is the time that when you know i'm not saying to never protect them as well but i think that we just have to recognize in times of pain and times of anxiety that we don't push it away and try to swarm them, but rather we mm. teach them how to move through that so that when they become in middle school and high school and on as an adult, they have these internalized ways of managing those emotions and that it's not a shock to them all of a sudden. Yeah. Joseph, you spoke about Brain Awake which is something that you founded it's an activity book that you've recently published and i know within it there are very quick tools that take a few minutes for them to practice can you tell us briefly about that yeah so i had this idea a, a couple years ago because i knew that 20 minutes of social emotional learning in the classroom just isn't enough and so i mm. wanted to create this activity book that both parents and teachers could use that are engaging and fun for children but they instill this healthy uh practice of mindfulness mm. and yoga so it's engaging but also teaches them the social emotional skills that they need and so what i did was i with haley peter who i i went to emporia state with and we graduated as elementary educators and she now teaches kids yoga in california but mm-hmm. we came together virtually everything since since we've been quarantined in our homes We began putting together what we've been using for years and piecing together these usable and practical activities that a, a parent or a teacher can use with their kids that is followed by this reflection section that just mm. sort of begins to plant those seeds begins to pry open a, a sense of awareness of a, a child and the emotions in them and the emotions of others and in fact our whole last section of the book is on goal setting it starts wow. it starts with um focusing in and optimism and it ends on perseverance which we could have easily named determination but yeah. i just think it's important that we take that little extra bit of time to have those uh discussions with our children i'm a i'm a big believer that involving children in their learning is the best way for them to grow 
Absolutely. And, you know, they take ownership of it as well and all the feelings and sentiments that come along with that. If a child is in this waiting place, it's, it's getting to be my new favorite term now. It's, it's made that emotion easier to describe. If a child is in that waiting place and a parent, you know, notices that, do you have a very quick, you know, one to two minute tip or an activity that you could guide our listeners to right now? I think, man, there's so many options. And I think for if a child is dysregulated and they're feeling this anxiety that we've been speaking to, I mm-hmm. think one of, the, one of the quickest ways we can teach them is by doing a quick mindfulness activity. And if it's okay, I'll do it with you here now. Sure. And the reason I love this activity is you can do it literally anywhere. And also as a teacher, it's a secret, secretly gratifying when I see kids doing the activity because I know that that seed I've planted has really began to take its roots. But what I do with my children is I have them open their hand like they're showing the number five. And with their mm-hmm. other hand, they use their finger to trace the outside of their hand. So we just trace it. We go up the thumb and down the thumb, up the pointer finger and down the pointer finger, up the middle finger and down. And we trace our hand one time. And then I tell them we're going to trace our hand again. But this time, we're going to follow our breath. So when we breathe in, we're going to trace up. And when we breathe out, we're going to trace down. So we do this. We start at the bottom of the thumb and we breathe in. And we're at the top of the thumb and we breathe out. We're at the base. We breathe in up the pointer finger. And we breathe out down the pointer finger. And in up to the top. And out to the bottom. And on the ring finger in, and out. And on the pinky, and out. And I normally ask my children how their breathing felt before the activity. If it was Mm -hmm. fast and rapid and short, or if it was slow and calm and controlled. And then I ask them how it felt after the activity. And this Mm. is just one way that they can begin to realize also those natural signs inside of them. When they feel their heart racing and their breath become quick, they know that they're feeling something intense. And Mm. they also realize that this is now a tool, a way that I can get my breath and my mind back to a place of regulation. And the reason I was saying is it's secretly gratifying for me is because when I'm in the classroom and we're out at recess or I see a kid struggling on something or they're getting really upset at a peer and I see them stop to do this activity, it's like Mm. inside of me is just bursting because that's that moment where you know that what you're doing is making a difference. That you yeah. you began to help this child and you know that these practices, they're realizing, I don't want to feel this way. And I do, and everyone feels this way at some point, but I can control that. 
No, Joseph, I, I, I honor and acknowledge you for, for your purpose and also your steadfastness because sometimes, you know, children won't take this on right at the beginning. We know sometimes even in mindfulness classes, you might have an odd snicker here or there. But then whenever they see it and, and you're steadfast and you keep teaching it and you bring that humility, that sense of peacefulness and calmness into it, which I so sensed when you were doing the activity, at the end of the day, the kids are listening, even if they don't practice it straight away. And what's really important is when the moment strikes when they need it, you've given them the tools um, to be able to do something that is responsible, which is to handle their emotions better rather than something really silly that they may regret later. So I really sense that. Thank you for that. Yes. We'll conclude, Joseph, with a practice of determination, and then we'll just reflect on our entire conversation. The practice of determination. I am clear about what I want to accomplish. I am committed to meeting my goals. I focus my full attention on what is important. I do what it takes to follow through. I am flexible and persevering. I finish what I start. Some reflections, Joseph, on a couple of those statements that may resonate with you. I think right now the world that we're living in and, and the times that we're experiencing, I am flexible and persevering. Mm. What we all need the most, flexibility, the ability to pivot mm. and to persevere, to be determined in, in what we're doing and knowing that, you know, we're not, we're not striving to be back to normal. We can't. It's not going to be that way. But we have to be flexible and strive for better. We, mm. have, we have to be able to take our full attention and focus on moving forward. Mm. We can't get out of that waiting place unless we realize we are here and we are determined to move forward. You know, you can realize you're in the waiting place and be there forever. Mm. You have to have that determination to move forward. And we have to teach our children that we are experiencing that waiting place. We are right. feeling it. And I know I'm feeling it because this is the way my heart feels. And I notice my mind is feeling this way or I'm having this thought often. But what I'm going to do is this. We have mm. to teach that. It's so mm. important that we model that. Absolutely. I completely agree with you there. You know, my, my reflection on that is for, for families to, to practice this together, to have a family meeting, to speak about the challenges that we're facing all as individuals and how we can all help each other to meet our goals. If all of us have a better understanding of what each of us need, there is a greater chance of having harmony. There's a greater chance of, you know, acceptance within our family, empathy within our family, because we're hanging out with each other for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so it's, it's always good for us to, you know, focus our full attention on what is important to you and what is important to me. Because as a parent, you don't want to feel like as if your goals are sort of being pushed aside as well. Focus on what's important for you as well and what's important for your child and let your child know that. So, you know, being, being open uh, with one another will allow us to be able to achieve our goals as well. Richard, that um, brought me back. Yeah. I'm sorry to our first no, no, question. When mm. we were talking about what can I do to help you, same mm. thing. Oh, I just love that family meeting you're talking about where you can say, mm. what do you need? 
What can mm. I do to help you? And just establishing that and having yeah. that clear commitment to one another and not just assuming that people know that you're down or people know that you need love right now or that you need a hug or whatever it may be, but just taking the time to ask that. What can I do for you? What do you need? And one thing, Joseph, I think parents should put aside what may seem awkward, you know, just because we did not feel it or get it or we weren't spoken to in that way or we weren't vulnerable and we weren't able to express our emotions with our parents, it does not make it right. Now, we may feel awkward about it, but we have to understand that if we start asking these questions, if we start honoring the spirit of our children and speak to them at a much deeper level, it allows them to feel loved. It allows them to know what giving love, what showing empathy feels like. And when they grow older and they have their own relationships, they will be able to pass that on. So I look at it, you know, as two ways. One, to solve the current problem. And at the same time, to give them the tools to be able to solve their own problems as well in the future. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's really, this is an opportunity for us. You know, we have the time right now. We are at mm. home. This is mm. an opportunity for us to establish those habits and those behaviors so that they've, when they have children someday, they carry on these habits and it really will impact our community for forever. Absolutely. I've got the affirmation now, Joseph, so you're welcome to uh, repeat after me. I'm thankful for the gift of determination. I'm thankful for the gift of determination. It is the wind in my sails. It is the wind in my sails. Thank you, Joseph, for being on this podcast and for your service towards this community. You know, and to all our listeners, if you would like to get in touch with Joseph, you can look him up at brainawakes.com or on Twitter at Mr. Joseph Hamer as well. Joseph, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on the podcast. It was a great honor and I feel that our conversations will be fruitful. And if anybody has a question or wants to collaborate on ways that they can take this to their family, please reach out. Please contact. You do not have to do it alone. Thank you, Joseph. And I know the power of social media is as such. I followed you this morning and I realize you've just been married. Yes, I just got married during the pandemic. We've been engaged for four years and we chose the summer of a world pandemic to get married. But it was beautiful and it was wonderful with just close family. Yeah, I just the, the pictures look lovely. It looks stunning. I wish you guys all the very best and God bless you. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, you can look me up for more information on uh, Family of Virtues and any other related topics on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on R Siddhartha, R-S-I-D-H-A-R-T-A, or Family of Virtues on Facebook and Instagram at Family of Virtues. Please subscribe and tune in again next time. Uh, God bless us all. Thank you. Thank you.